All right, as uh, Faithful Matt Chen puts up chapter 27, it's the second half. Uh, it's been a while since we gathered, so maybe I'll review a little bit. But uh, we've been talking the past few studies about the transition uh, from the first generation to the second generation. The first generation was the one that saw the miracles in Egypt, crossed over the Red Sea, uh, and got the, uh, received the law, but they uh, rebelled at Kadesh Barnea, refused to go into Canaan. And so God uh, disinherited them and said that none of them would see the promised land. Um, and then the second generation, 40 years to turn it over, um, as they grew up and uh, saw what how God led them day by day, by God was um, never, he was always present, right? Uh, he's not going to go anywhere. And that, I think that faithfulness of God maybe sh uh, kind of undergirded their, their own faith. And um, they were, um, they are getting ready now to uh, enter into, uh, into uh, the promised land themselves. It's not quite there, uh, but we're seeing transition. The census was taken where uh, all of the people of the first census, the fighting men, were no longer alive. And, and then we have the second census that took place. Uh, we have questions about inheritance coming up. Last time we studied Zelophehad's daughters, how they requested that, uh, uh, that uh, the matter be examined uh, when there was no male heir, could a daughter inherit? And uh, to their credit, it took a lot of guts. Uh, and they also knew the heart of God, what God wanted for inheritance laws. And so the law was changed so that women, daughters, if there was no male heir, daughters could inherit. And it, it's still very, very far, of course, from any sort of, you know, equality or equity even, right? And, uh, you know, um, it's unfortunate that, you know, throughout history, even biblical history, kind of the, the scourge of patriarchy and male's dominance and, and, and kind of privilege is, uh, you know, smattered throughout uh, the biblical narrative. Uh, and yet, um, you know, the small victory, I think that at least that they represent their, uh, their uh, insight into what God wanted, as well as their uh, willingness uh, to uh, be courageous, to, to raise the question, and then at the end, you know, even though they had to make a yet another sacrifice to keep the inheritance within the tribe to marry within their clans, um, you know, all of that, I think, uh, suggests that um, they, they were special uh, individuals and they kind of pioneered or paved the way for uh, what should have been. And, and even now, right, even now in our world, we're still seeing kind of the 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 effects, the consequences where uh, still there is no uh, uh, gender equality. But uh, the fight continues, I hope, uh, for the right things. Um, and so uh, uh, in today's reading, we're going to get uh, actually a transfer of leadership, or at least it, it's a, the, the transition is kind of set up. It doesn't actually happen, right? But uh, here we see that uh, Moses... Um, asks God and God uh, names a successor to lead the Israelite people. So chapter 27, verses 12 to 23, chapter 27, 12 to 23. If I could have uh, some people read that, read a chunk uh, of verses out loud, and we could follow along. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain in the Abarim range and see the land I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. These were the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At, this com at his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out and at his command, they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. Mm, thank you. So I, I would just divide this passage into two big sections, right? So from verses 12 to 17, um, it's kind of like God's uh, dialogue conversation between God and Moses on Mount, on the Abarim uh, mountain range. And then 18 through 23 is kind of the succession um, procedure or process ceremony where uh, Moses it transfers um, leadership to Joshua. So let's look at 12 to 17 first. Matt, if you could pop up question one. Uh, I'd like us to kind of try to get into Moses's mindset a little. And I know some of it will be, you know, somewhat speculative. But what do you make of the exchange between God and Moses? Um, what do you think was going through Moses's mind at the time? I welcome chat responses, chat box responses, or unmute yourself and, and verbally uh, share. Um, I, th I think, I mean, if I were to put myself in his shoes, then I think I'll be feeling a whole range of emotions just in terms of like, well, you know, like the Lord kind of like rebukes him or like reminds him of like how he messed up. So I, you know, I was, I would be, you know, ashamed of that. And like, I was like, I would think and like, man, like I shouldn't have dropped the ball on that, you know? And, but at the same time, I'm also thinking of, uh, you know, the people that, that I'm leading and just thinking about, I guess my legacy and like how it can, you know, um, continue this trip that we're on by like, you know, passing the baton to Joshua. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, you nailed the, uh, kind of the, the range, right. Um, 
so yeah, a little bit kind of God kind of reminds him, right? And Moses would have maybe uh, kind of, uh, yeah, been a little bit uh, affected by what God said. Do you, you, you said that if you were in his shoes, you also would think of the people. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think Moses at this point is, you know, um, I'm guessing he's like, what, 100, 120? Yeah. So yeah. So, you know, he's about to he's about to die and and be with God. Um. So, yeah, I would you know, I would think you know it's kind of like I'm just imagining like you're I don't know like you're the president of a corporation or like you're the owner of a team for example and you know you're just thinking of like I'm about to step down and like I need I need someone to uh you know st still steer, steer the ship you know still be the leader of of this uh, of these people you know so I, I don't want them to like just like you know go go awry you know very good uh, anyone else Um, this is Alice. Uh, I was noticing, I feel like similar to what Sam was saying of, um, you know, I think Moses has accepted that he's like at the end of his time. So um, I see with, you know, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of merciful that God shows Moses the land, even though he can't enter into it. But, um, and then Moses in response it's not asking to, it's not trying to change God's mind about that. It's just kind of, he's asking for someone, he's asking, you know, to pass the baton um, over to somebody. So um, I don't know, it seems kind of like a peaceful, even though that it's a reminder of, you know, the disobedience, it seems like a peaceful exchange between them. When I read this, um, it, it seems like Moses has, kind of accepted it so um i don't i don't see that you know god is saying this to like make him feel bad or anything um i guess that's similar to kind of what sam was saying but yeah okay um thank you Ella. Would you have wanted to see it if God told you that what you wanted all along, what you had worked for, uh, that you were not going to see it come to full fruition? Would you at least like to see as much as you can? Or do you think that you might just say, no, it's a thanks, but no thanks? Anyone uh, approach would might approach it from that angle. You know, I like to speculate a little bit because um, Moses got to see some pretty amazing things in his life, right? Including whatever he saw 
you know, on the mountain when God was carving out the Ten Commandments, right? And there's some references in Hebrew that said, you know, that he saw the Ark of the Covenant kind of made a replica of it. So I, I think before this point, God actually didn't promise that he will see the land, right? God just said, you're not going to enter it, right? So to actually get this kind of a, you know, treatment, right? It, it, it could be a blessing and, you know, maybe God shows it more than just a land, right? We don't know what he actually saw in his eye, right? Maybe, you know, God shows him, you know, the future, the history, or he zooms in like, you know, Google Maps style, like, you know, you know, focus on like the different nations and how they're going to get conquered. I mean, we just think he just saw this big piece of land and that's it. But, you know, it doesn't actually say in what manner he saw the land. So, I mean, in that sense, I think it's a blessing. And I think, you know, Moses is, didn't contest, right? This time he didn't contest. He just kind of already knows this is, his, you know, God is not going to let him enter. But, you know, I think seeing the land is pretty good too, if it could be, you know, God style seeing the land. Okay. I was just checking uh, a reference uh, whether God promised him or not. I'm still looking, but that, that's something to think about. Either way, yeah, I agree that I think from Moses' perspective, because he's so humble and he's so close to God that um, he's grateful to actually being able to see it. And yeah, it, it could have been more than just um, a visual uh, kind of um, experience. Uh, but I'm, I'm not sure we want to kind of, we can't go farther than that. It could have been more, right? Since they had a special relationship. But All right. Any other uh, comments on what was going through um, Moses's mind? I think if I was Moses, I would have been fine not to see it. I would have been like, man, I, this this job is too long. I don't know. He was old. <laughs> so you would do it because you're tired? You wouldn't want to say because you're tired? Or would there be kind of, I'm, I'm wondering if there'd be kind of like, well, you know, if I don't get to go in, then like almost like a, not a, a, a petulance, but uh, something of kind of a, a little bit of like, Um, kind of, I don't know, a gripe or, or anger. None of you would, would, all of you would be as spiritual as Moses, huh? Uh, no. I, I, I think I would have, I think like, um, what Sam kind of said it, right? That there, there's just a lot of misgivings like, oh, well, you know, a, a regret. I don't know about great, but regret and uh, kind of like a, almost a FOMO. No, well, not fear, definitely missing out. So, yeah, I, I don't think I would have been necessarily that happy. 
I mean, God is merciful. He um, allowed me to, he would have allowed me to see it. And he's allowing the people in general, even though all the, all the issues with the people, he's giving them new leadership to lead them in the way, you know, so that's all God's mercy. But, but for myself, kind of, man, I'm really missing out. Yeah, you know, I can't quite find that passage. I think it's in Deuteronomy where Moses um, kind of tells the people, it's because of you I didn't get to go in. <laughs> of course, he's not blaming them, but he's uh, he reminds them that, you know, it was kind of their rebellion which prompted his rebellion. I don't know if that's an excuse. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If anyone can find that passage, uh, uh, put it in the chat or, or verbally say it. I, I, I would you through it. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of it like, you know, let's say um, kind of emotionally, right? Emotionally um, to kind of have come so close and then, you know, it's not a technicality, but let's say that Moses or, you know, one of us would call it a technicality, right? That Moses did not, uh, he in Deuteronomy says God says both you and Aaron broke faith uh, both of you um, did not hold, regard me as holy so it certainly was a, a serious sin in God's eyes but it, it still kind of was a, somewhat of an exception to Moses's exemplary you know faithfulness right but um, the fact that after all was said and done after you know, Moses is extraordinary. You know, we just covered his birth uh, on Mother's Day, Mother's Day message, right? And uh, his upbringing, his, uh, you know, his rashness, his hot-headedness, then, you know, his quiet training in the desert and the interchange of the call. Uh, and then all of the stupendous events of the Exodus and... Um, <laughs> that's a that's a funny typo that you put. Can you read that for us, uh, Hua? Matter Joe, Deuteronomy four twenty one. The Lord was angry with me because of you, and He solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan, but you are about to cross over and take possession of the good land. Yeah, so I don't know. I, 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 I would read into a little of that, a little bit of, at minimum, bittersweetness, <laughs> right? Because, um, yeah, this was uh, uh, what Moses, um, this is, since this was so much on God's heart, right, giving them the promised land, right? I, we talked about that. I, I said this, the big perspective of God orchestrating um, this, 400-year uh, vision from Abraham all the way to that current time. And Moses had, you know, bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. He had dedicated his life to make that happen, right? And the fact that uh, he got so close to it, and yet he himself did not get to enter in. Yeah, I'm wondering if um, there, like I said, at least a bittersweetness. I, I, and I think we should give Moses all the credit and say that, he was mature enough, big enough, um, big-hearted enough to, you know, understand that um, this was God's best 
for him or for the people and or the people and that he had like you like all of you guys mentioned that he had come to accept it but i i'm just thinking from you know let's say uh a more um emotional or let's say more uh human uh perspective maybe my immature perspective i think there would be a lot of kind of uh Joe called it regret. I'm not sure it'd be, it'd be, it would be regret, but it would also be a little bit kind of like a sense of uh, like maybe unfairness a, a little bit kind of like, but it's kind of like the expression like, but, but I can't, you know, really, really, you know, it's just kind of like, um, you know, I, I think there's a term in other languages. Like I, I know one that I, I think would, would be appropriate. like, it's kind of the sense of almost like, wow, what this is so sad. What a waste. Uh, and I, I feel like, I don't know if uh, Moses would feel that or he would admit to saying that, but I feel that when I read what happened, right? Um, like, you know, the fact that you, you remember when the Israelites rebelled at the golden calf incident and, and a couple, and I think another time in, in numbers where uh, God was planning to pretty much like, he offered Moses, he goes, I'll wipe out this rebellious people and I'll start over with you, right? So Moses almost had a chance to kind of dictate, uh, to kind of govern the, the way in which it would happen. But each time Moses was such a faithful uh, intercessor, right? He really had a heart for the people and he pleaded for God's mercy. And in the, in the Exodus version of it, uh, Moses you know, even said, you know, if you don't go with us, then don't send us, right? I'd rather go, uh, I'd rather uh, stay here with you and never get the promised land. Um, don't send us to something good without your good presence. So, you know, clearly Moses was so um, invested with it and, um the fact that he could only see it, right, uh, inspect it, uh, espy it from uh, a distance, right, uh, that kind of, I think, says a lot about, I mean, could say a lot. I'm still trying to process. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing with you guys. I'm processing it, right? Um, like we could go several different kind of uh, ways with this, right? We could say that, well, that's the holiness of God. Right? That even someone as great, someone as noble, someone as uh, dutiful as Moses, right? Because he did not regard God holy, you know, enough. Right? The standards were higher for him as the uh, you know leader of the Israelites. That uh, you know that God was able to you know, justifiably right deny him entry. Right? We could talk about the holiness of God. Right? We could talk about how um, the relationship with God, and I think this is what maybe David was kind of um, like speaking to, is like, you know, Moses had uh, some tremendous, some personal, some very uh, uh, special and unique experiences with God. Like he got to see God's glory, he got to see the back of God, show me your glory, you know, cleft of the rock, all that Exodus 33 stuff. And so, you know, in a sense, the promised land was, you know, it's a land, 
right? Yeah, it's kind of in, in maybe no big deal compared to just the the quality and the kind of the um, kind of the, uh, the uh, is it ethereal? Is that the word? Ethereal nature of, of his experience? It's not ephemeral, ethereal. It's like just it's very lofty, right? Moses had a special relationship with God. And so he got richly rewarded, richly blessed. I even look at this passage as kind of like almost like like uh, two friends, like, you know, walking along the mountain range, just a very, very personal, very loving time. Maybe they took a selfie together or something. It's just, you know, super close, super intimate. And so almost like Moses didn't need to go step, put, to put his foot on the land itself physically because, you know, he was so spiritually in tune with God, right? So we could talk about the, kind of the, the, the specialness of their intimacy, of their fellowship, of, you know, Moses's relationship with God that, you know, in, in a sense, I feel like that is kind of where we end up talking about, you know, blessings and God's promises and, you know, this idea that on earth, like Hebrews 11, right? On earth, we don't uh, necessarily receive the fulfillment or the consummation, the fruition of the promises, right? It's a temporary experience. And that just prepares us for something greater, right? And, and Moses is included in that long list of special people who, you know, experienced God, but they didn't receive what was promised. They were looking ahead so that with others, they could receive it together. You know, this idea that this you know, the, the promised land in, in a way is not the end all be all. It's part of God's entire, you know, blessing package, right? And for the Israelites, it was tremendous. And it was, again, the culmination of many years of planning, many, many people and, and, the, and especially the, the, the servanthood of Moses, right? And yet, you know, the actual inheritance or receipt right? The enjoyment of that is still future, right? That it wasn't, maybe it's got a spiritual component, meaning that no matter, no earthly experience is really going to give us a, a sufficient taste of what heaven's going to be like. And so there's always that kind of longing, that yearning, that now and the not yet, that there's this kind of of hope um, in something greater and better. And, and God, I think, gives us enough, maybe even a, a surfeit of clues that that's true, right? So that's, maybe that's what Moses is kind of signifying, that even though the promised land was so wonderful and abundant and special and planned, it really was, you know, uh, going to pale in comparison to what was awaiting him, right? And so uh, Moses didn't have to feel regret or feel bad or feel FOMO because what was awaiting him, right? What God had planned for him was beyond imagination, beyond description, beyond any sort of kind of uh, earthly uh, counterpart, right? Uh, there's this old Keith, I don't know if you're a Keith Green fan, but he was a guy I grew up with in college in terms of you know music, musicians, Christian musicians. And he has a, a song about, you know, he doesn't, it's about creation. And he goes, I don't know if the world is created in six literal days or, 
you know, if that's just symbolic, but he says, you know, if this world took, you know, six days and it's as beautiful as it is, you know, Jesus has been preparing our home for 2000 years. So, you know, whatever the, 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 the current earth is, the world is, it's a, it's a garbage can, it's only a trash, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing compared to what the heavenly mansions are, are going to be like. It's that kind of sentiment that, you know, maybe, you know, we're supposed to uh, draw from it. But my, as I focus on Moses himself and like as Sam, you know, led off, trying to put ourselves in his shoes, that sense of like that deep sigh that I think would exit, you know, that I would exhale um, um, to kind of you know, see what was there, but know that I can't get it. And I'm pretty sure, I know Caleb says this, right? Caleb says, I'm not, I'm whatever, I forget how old he was, 82 years old. He was still ready to fight and he did his portion to conquer the promised land, right? Only Joshua and Caleb entered in. But I think Moses, I forget, also says something like that too. I'm 120, but I can still see, I can still walk. I can, you know, so he's not frail. He's not ready to die per se, right? But he's certainly ready to let go and retire because that's what God wants of him, right? But, you know, so add that, you know, whatever his own physical uh, strength or virility or, 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 or kind of ability to kind of experience uh, God, you know, on this earth still. And yet his days are kind of, uh, you know, ordered uh, by God, right? So, um, okay, uh, I, I kind of went off. Is there either new perspectives or follow-up stuff to, to what we've, we, we're still trying to inhabit Moses's mindset? Maybe also like what he says to God um, gives some indication of what his, uh, you know, how he sees the people, um, you know, that uh, they're like, uh, they're like sheep, right? So that they really do need somebody uh, with a kind of strong hand, I guess, to lead them and you know, given all that uh, they had been through together, it sort of makes sense. Um, and also, I think it's, it kind of, I don't know if it, it's also sort of like, I don't know, it just kind of makes me think about how it, it's, you know, it, like you're saying, right, Moses has this incredible sort of personal, intimate relationship with God, but there's something um, that's different about the way that the people relate to God and it's like they need someone like Moses to be a kind of mediator between God and them and you know I, I don't know there's like I guess when they went to Sinai right like you know they're too afraid to like go up on the mountain and stuff so um yeah I don't know if that it's sort of also kind of um I don't know making some point about the need for someone to fill that role I guess Yeah, I think certainly Moses is, uh, it was the Sam who brought it up and Peter you, you elaborated on it, his shepherd's heart, right? That through it all, even though he personally feels, let's say, I would argue he feels loss and not being able to go, right? His mind is not self-pity. It's not self-centeredness. It really is uh, kind of uh, a, a, a 
an entreaty, um, a request that uh, almost even a reminder to God that, you know, someone who can lead these people uh, is what, what's needed. So that it, it's not a done deal, like, you know, just because they're at the, the brink of entering in, you know, these people are going to need uh, the right kind of shepherd. So, you know, while I kind of said a lot about what I thought was maybe Moses's sense of bitter, bittersweet sense of, of seeing it, having done all this, but not being able to, to go in as kind of a, a personal human uh, desire that, that I would, I thought he, he might have experienced. Uh, what I find to be really kind of inspiring and really kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, awesome is his, his, his sense of leadership, right? Not only as Peter and Sam and others might have mentioned about, you know, finding a successor, right? That the right kind of person who could assume the many roles and the big shoes that Moses would leave behind, the big sandals. Um, but the fact that Moses, I, I, I think, I forget who said it, maybe Joe or Alice, that he had kind of almost thoroughly accepted that his time of leadership had come to a close. Right. There was no sense of like hanging on, no sense of like, you know, making, being awkward. You know, Moses, it, it, you know, th this has been my theory of leadership throughout the book of Numbers is that, you know, Moses was not looking, his goal was not to be the leader. His goal was to be a servant of God. And if God called him to leadership, no matter how hard it was, no matter what would, it would take out of him, he was willing to do it. But once God said, okay, your tenure's done. I need you somewhere else, or I don't need you at all. Moses was completely fine with that, right? So he wasn't in it for the glory. He wasn't in it for the authority. And I feel like there were flashes of anger even, or flashes of like self-indignation when people accused Moses of, you know, lording it over others or taking stuff that didn't belong to him, because that was far from Moses's desire. He did not want that kind of power. He did not want to exercise that kind of thing. But because of the people and because of what God wanted, Moses did it. He did it as best he could. Maybe he messed up, right, in, in, in the instance that was um, uh, cited. But throughout his um, kind of his journey, I, I think Moses really always kept that at heart that, you know, as if, if this is where God wanted him to be, then he would do it, right? No matter how hard it was, no matter how long it was. And he didn't need any sort of like compensation. He didn't need any sort of reward. He didn't need any sort of like even a pat on the back, right? This is this was what he accepted as uh, his relationship with God. Whatever you want me to do, God, I will do, right? And I find that, you know, super refreshing, right? Super inspirational and super hard, right? right? Even as we serve God, even as we find what he wants us to do, oh, I think there's a lot of personal, you know, preferences in it. If you want me to do that, I want, I want, I want these in exchange, or I want, I, I, I don't want to deal with that. And, you know, we, we kind of make our conditions and we uh, set up our job descriptions and, you know, I, I feel like we tend to like, Lord, I can do it for another, 
you know, two and a half months, or I can do it for five years, but not, not, not a day longer. You know, we kind of, it's, we almost treat it like we do our, uh, our employment contracts or kind of, we want to be in charge of how we serve God is what I'm saying. Right. We are not as pliable or as willing as Moses is. You want me to do the hardest, craziest thing ever. And you won't tell me when I have to stop doing it. Okay. I'm still willing. And to boot, I don't get to go into what I've always, you know, was the only thing that was kind of motivating me forward. Ah, but I'll accept it because, you know, I'm in it for you. I'm in it because you called me. I'm in it because, you know, I love you. You know, that kind of very super clear, super selfless, right? Super uh, kind of um, just humble uh, relationship and willingness to do what God asks of him. I think these are the most powerful, most effective, and most God-honoring, you know, people, Christians, right? That, um, you know, I think are in the Bible and that I see around me that I don't see in myself, unfortunately. But, you know, we, uh, that that's what we should aspire to, that whatever we do for the Lord, it's really for the Lord and only for the Lord, right? We don't need to get any sort of recognition from other people. We don't need to, you know, look like we succeeded or failed, or we don't have to worry about how we're judged or the opinions. We just need to, you know, stand before God, right? And I feel like that's what Moses did. And that's why he was okay on, on the mountain range, because, you know, he knew that he wasn't perfect before God. He had told God, I'm not perfect. And God had said, I'm still gonna, I still want you for work. I still want you to do what I want. Right. So Moses was you just he was an open book before God. And so to me, the just the the, the refreshedness and, and the beauty, right, the, the, the transparency. We're big on that word now right? of God, of Moses before God, uh, that should define that should really uh, be the kind of, uh, uh, of servanthood, the kind of service, the kind of way in which we want to administer our Christian lives, right? No matter what we do, right? Visible, invisible, upfront, behind the scenes, you know, one day, 50 years, whatever, you know, that's all up to God. What we want, what he's looking for us is a willingness and then a faithfulness, right? Uh, uh, a steady faithfulness to do it. And and so, you know, even in, in this story, I feel like, even though I brought in the emotional, the bittersweetness of it, I still think Moses stands head and shoulders above, you know, many others, certainly, uh, you know, within my own orbit. Okay, before we move to Joshua, any other uh, comments or questions? Matt, if you could pop our second question, it's a simple one. Uh, up, why do you think Joshua was chosen to succeed Moses? Why was it Joshua? Again, I invite chat box responses or so i think joshua was chosen because he is well he was one of the two spies and is able to stand up uh against his peers despite overwhelming odds uh, and still speak the truth. 
in the sense that he he's obedient, but he also has conviction. Yeah, thanks, Steph. I I, I think those are really good observations, right? That um, he kind of proved himself to be faithful to God, and not to the mob mentality or the popular answer or the pressure of, of others, right? He stood with you mentioned convictions and the you know, clear command of God. And that probably is the, you know, bedrock of any sort of spiritual leadership, right? That kind of, and Moses certainly had that, that uh, putting uh, God's word, God's command, God's person uh, as the prime, prime priority, prime authority. Um, I think something that kind of came to mind is like, if, if this were a movie, I sort of feel like there's these key scenes where it's like Moses, but then you see that like Joshua is somehow there, like in the picture, like maybe he's not, you know, main person, but he seemed to have been like kind of close to Moses, I guess, and witnessed a lot of like what he went through. Like Moses went up to the mountain and Joshua was, was there. Right. And, you know, they're talking about like, what are those sounds coming from the bottom of the camp? So he was kind of there. And then I forget if he was like one of the two people who was like helping to hold up Moses' arms in that battle, but okay, I was wrong about that. <laughs> but um, anyway, but yeah, you know, I think that um, I feel like that maybe there's something to the fact though that he uh, had some kind of relationship with Moses and had been, you know, sort of witness to the things uh, uh, that he experienced as a leader. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Joshua was uh, Moses's aide de camp, right? So uh, it starts with um, the ascent to get the law, right? Mount Sinai, Moses took Joshua with him. And then, you know, there's a very interesting passage where it says that Moses and Joshua were in the tent of meeting. This is before the tabernacle was built where they would inquire of God and, and, and the like. And, you know, Moses would stand in front, hear the questions of the people, go into the tent and ask God and come out and tell the people what God said. But the text says that Joshua stayed inside the tent, right? So he certainly, I think, is like an apprentice, right? In, 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 in a beautiful sense, like he not only was learning from Moses, but he was being uh, observing, but he was also learning and basically being trained, almost groomed, right, to, um, you know, take on the, the, the uh, uh, to assist Moses. Now, the incident that Peter was referring to, the valley against the, the valley of Rephidim, where they fought the Amalekites, it was Aaron and her who kept Moses' arms up to pray, but it was Joshua in the valley, right? So he actually, he had a special calling to be a military leader, right? And in other fights, I think as well, he uh, takes command. And in fact, verse 15, 16, verse 17, right? To go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in. The commentaries say that's a military image. So Moses is almost suggesting that we need a shepherd, like somebody who can take care of the people, but specifically one who can lead them into battle and lead them back, right? So I think the experience of 
of of Joshua, right? Um, having uh, and Steph mentioned, you know, him being a, a spy, a leader of his people. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, that certainly um, prepared him and uh, at least qualified him in part to be ready for, you know, this responsibility to be chosen, right? But which makes me wonder, well, why does Moses ask, right? And he, he kind of says it in a big deal, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind. He's kind of like uh, almost like referring to kind of some of the, um, even the, the beyond just kind of, you know, God of the Israelites to this, you know, bigger understanding of God. And, you know, he asks God to appoint a man. He doesn't say, you know, make it Joshua. Is right. So, you know, maybe that's the question we try to grapple with is, why did Moses ask? And then what else uh, made Joshua, right, the right person to succeed Moses? Uh, so when we look at verse 18, right, and the uh, Lord said, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man on whom is the spirit. And uh, that particular phrasing, I think, I think different version of the Bible kind of stylized that a little different, right? I think Joe read the NIV, which is, which says the spirit of leadership, but some other version of the Bible actually capitalized the S. So it's actually kind of, kind of hinting that actually this is referring to the Holy Spirit, that this is not just, you know, any spirit. This is the spirit, right? I think the, you know, ESV and ASB, you know, I think even the King James, have the capital S. And, and actually here I see it's a reversal of the normal order of events. Right? Usually I think when these things happen, right, the hand is laid on first and then the spirit is given. Right? But in, in here, actually Joshua, he said he, he already has the spirit, right? You know, in whom is already the spirit. And then you lay your hand on him just to commission him, given, you know, more authority. Right? And so you know, kind of to piggyback off what you said about after Moses leaves the tent, Joshua still stays in the tent, right? So presumably he's praying, presumably, right? Whatever Moses is doing is rubbing off on him. And he's like, I want to hear from God too, right? You know, I don't want to just hear what God tell Moses. I want to hear what God wants to tell me, right? And that, you know, because he's actually honed this, you know, practice of actually want to be intimate with God, want to hear from God directly, right? In whom is the spirit, right? That, you know, the spirit of God, you know, you know, this is, you know, the spirit of God on us is a New Testament language, but, but in the Old Testament, there is this language that the spirit of God will come on people, right? And um, so, you know, I think, yeah, like, whatever, you know, other than all these, you know, like logistical reasons, you know, military leader, right? He was one of the two spies and so forth, right? You know, he's Moses' aide de camp, right? You know, I, I think if God says, you know, that's why I want him and because in whom is the spirit, I think that's, that's why I think God chose Joshua that, you know, he has that, Spirit of God that rubbed off. 
Yeah, I think that is really the defining quality, right? And um, it's, it's not something that we can presume, right? Um, Joshua had all of the uh, experiential qualities and, ex and, and, and kind of know-how that would make him an excellent successor or leader of the people. But it was more than just, you know, leadership qualities, right? Joshua actually um, had the spirit in him. Um, I take it as, uh, I kind of, I think Dave was also describing it that way, is uh, that Joshua had that kind of very strong personal relationship with God himself. And it wasn't vicarious. It wasn't like the people. Most of the people, you know, they they just couldn't deal with God, or they they were afraid of God, or they were just they just didn't want to know commune with God directly, right? So Moses was always a mediator. But in fact, uh, Joshua, uh, you know, under the aegis of the people, he also you know fell into that. But there, there seems to be I don't want to call it an independent. But there was a direct connection between himself and, and with with the Lord. So, um, and 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 uh, you know, um, maybe it's not that clear, like as Dave was mentioning in in the Old Testament. But the fact that uh, you know Joshua almost seamlessly is able to you know pray to God, hear from God, be rebuked by God, be uh, led by God. Yeah, that was kind of the key aspect. Right for um, this particular role, this particular calling. Right, that unless the person leading the Israelites was really close to God, you know, that without that, you know, recipe for disaster. Right, uh, because it wasn't about just skills, and it wasn't just about strategy, and it just wasn't about numbers and power, or or warfare, or or you know cleverness or intelligence it really was a spiritual endeavor and so um, because God established the Israelite nation as a theocracy right God as the head of the people uh, unless the uh, the chief leader um, knew how to communicate knew how to be close with um, the head of the nation right? Uh, it wasn't going anywhere, right? And so the fact that uh, Joshua was called, uh, uh, I think, most importantly, because of his existent, vibrant, and vital relationship with God. And he had a lot of good experience <laughs> to boot, right? That helped him um, uh, in, in terms of skill, but the foundation of the, the spiritual experience and relationship with God was of paramount uh, significance, uh, I feel. Um, I think that uh, what God is commanding Moses to do in verses 20 to 21 uh, is to, um, it was to me, it's more than a symbolic kind of commissioning. I think it actually... And in this case, so it was a transfer of uh, authority or um, another way, it's more of his spirit, like Moses' spirit. 
maybe it's leadership, maybe it's more, but um, it, so I'm not sure it's uh, a technically a reversal, Dave, but it, it was, um, and, and I think you'd have to say that, you know, in other cases where this kind of thing happens, um, there is already, you know, some spirit in, in most of the recipients, maybe it's not highlighted, but they have something and then it's um, increased, augmented, intensified by the special transfer, right? Maybe Elijah to Elisha, for example, and stuff. And, and, and so it, there's this continuity, I think, right? That God wants to demonstrate or show. That's why it's before all the people so that people would obey uh, Joshua just as much as they obeyed Moses. I think that was the idea. But Joshua was the the substrate, if you will. He was the 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 um, the the parchment uh, that you know Moses and God could continue to write on, right? And so that's why this leadership transition is so I think edifying. I think it's uh, uh, kind of um, almost joyous uh, to see, right? That, you know, what Moses didn't get to experience personally, uh, in a sense, he transferred part of himself, right? The best of himself to Joshua. And it was in this kind of, of um, combined or, or, you know, um, kind of inherited um, I don't want to say embodiment, but you know, where Joshua went, right? Uh, Moses's influence, Moses's love, Moses's words, Moses's memories, right? Uh, accompanied right Joshua. So in that sense, I think it's really kind of uh, beautiful. Right? And the mo that Moses did it, I think, joyfully. He did it uh, thankfully. Right? He did it verbatim, right? just as God commanded him. Moses did not insert his opinion. Maybe he had issues with Joshua. Maybe he thought someone else was better. No, he did it exactly as God uh, told him to do. Commentaries point out that verse 21 suggests that even though Joshua was receiving this endowment and this commissioning from Moses, the fact that um, Joshua is to receive decisions through Eleazar the priest suggests that he is quote unquote a notch lower than Moses. So Moses heard from God directly. You know, we've already established that Joshua also had a relationship with God, but in terms of decision making, right? Um, Eleazar becomes part of that kind of communication pipeline um, to God. And then the Urim, which were kind of, I think, special stones, I think that's what they say, that the priests would use to divine, you know, what God's will was. I wish we had those today, right? <laughs> um, um, and, but so it's not as... So my point, I think, or why I mentioned that is somehow Moses's um, walk with God and his uh, relationship with God was kind of 
um, you know, it stood apart, right? That not even great people, even great leaders, um, you know, Moses was special. And, and we get that sense, right? God said, you know, I speak through prophets all the time and I do this and I do that. But with Moses, right, he's special. So, you know, maybe back to what I think David was talking about earlier when we talked about Moses is that uh, even though he didn't get to, you know, put his two feet on, on you know, promised land terra firma, right? Um, Moses experienced the promised land as spiritually as you could. Right. And, and that is, you know, that's, you know, we may not receive tangibly what God wants uh, uh, or promises us yet, but um, it, it no less uh, depreciates the, the depth and the, the glory and the uh, uplift that can come with the kind of um, you know stellar uh, relationship that Moses had with God. That's weird. That is not something that um, in other words, you know, we can ask God for that. We can experience God in whatever situation, in whatever uh, time period uh, exists. Um, so uh, you know, let me just finish up. Just one thought is just, you know, asking ourselves, like, you know, uh, is the spirit in me in the sense that, you know, does God use my life? Does he want to use my life? Has he been using my life in order to accomplish his purposes and wills, right? Whether it's, you know, this kind of 400 year super plan or whether it's, you know, uh, one piece of a big puzzle, maybe of bringing someone to Christ, or to build a ministry that will help certain people, or to kind of uh, just do what God wants me to do in this time, uh, in this place, right? I mean, in a sense, you know, you, I always say this, you know, whether you're an, uh, like a formal leader or an official leader of, of anything, of a church or of a of a company or of a family, right? We all exercise influence. We always we always lead, right? In, in some capacity. Again, it might not be as as like um, you know visible or widespread as Moses or Joshua's, but I think the same principle applies. Right? Um, is it, it, it would it you know be, before you kind of make decisions before you can really kind of take responsibility for others or even yourself, right? That big question, am I really, um, is the spirit in me? Do I have the kind of, do I seek the kind of, let's say, uh, mentorship or the kind of you know, guidance, the kind of uh, uh, you know, learning pod that Moses provided uh, Joshua, right? Um, or, you know, let's compare, and there were a lot of leaders in the book of Numbers, but a lot of them kind of ended up uh, either, you know, disciplined or not very uh, effective, right? So certainly there's a lot of times when we are making decisions or that or we are uh, trying to lead um, even our families or you know, our friends or 
whatever, and we're we're doing a, a poor job of it, right? We're not effective. We're not uh, furthering God's plan or purpose, right? And that that basic question, right? Is the spirit uh, working and full and um, joyous in me, right? Uh, am I a person who walks with God and hears God and listens to God and obeys God? Right? I think uh, from this story, right, um, that would be uh, something to uh, definitely uh, learn from. All right. Let's close with uh, some prayer. Uh, Lord, we um, live in a world where uh, leadership is certainly touted and uh, aspired to and flaunted sometimes. And uh, we see uh, in the halls of government, we see in business, we see in in, in the church, uh, we see uh, just uh, many ways. We see flawed people. Um, we see... Uh, Maybe so much that leaves to be uh, leaves much to be desired, uh, but as we uh, really examine and hopefully be blessed by the life of Moses and Joshua, we really uh, are reminded of where their skills and where their authority and where their um, uh, strong and uh, and, and yet gracious uh, and uh, caring, right? Very caring leadership came from, and that was with a relationship with you. Um, that uh, how you lead us, Lord, is how we should lead ourselves and others in our lives. And so help us to really uh, not up, to really uh, strengthen and stretch and... Uh, um, make more muscular that connection with you uh, so that whatever you have us do um, whether it's uh, something like leading millions of people or if it's just um, helping one person that we can do it your way we do it the right way and that um, there can be uh, the praise of god the glory of god given we pray all this in jesus name